one month to live? What if you had one month to live? What if you knew you only had one month to live? How would you spend your time then? How would you spend your time then if you had one month to live? How would you spend your money then? How much time would you spend with your children? How much time would you spend with your spouse? How much time would you spend repairing relationships if you only had one month to live? What would you do differently? How would you, how would you talk differently? How would you treat people if you knew you only had one month to live? Powerful questions. Powerful questions for me. I got to tell you guys, these questions that I'm putting out there in this sermon series, they started with me in my life, and I'm still working through them. I, um, I found the top 10 regrets research was done, and I found the results of that research, top 10 regrets of people who thought they didn't have long to live. And some of them in reality didn't have long to live. Some of them thought they didn't have long to live, but actually lived longer. But when they answered the question, you know, what is your biggest regret, knowing that you have only a short time to live, what's your biggest regret? And I want to give you the top 10 biggest regrets. The first one was this one. This person said, I wish I, well, not this person, but um, all of these that came in, uh, the 10th the, the one uh, was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And, and look, we know there's nothing wrong with hard work, but, but we can do, you, you know, we're creatures of extremes I mean, we, we are creatures of extremes. We, uh, people who love to work often go too far with their work. And that's what these people were saying. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. He, he, he went on to write, or these people went on to write, I missed being a part of my children's lives. I missed being my, my wife's best friend. I missed being my husband's best friend. I missed that friendship. I missed that companionship. Now, here's what a few of them said. A few of them went on to say under number 10 that, that spending so much time away from home ended up costing them their family, and costing them their marriage. And they said, I'll go to the grave with this pain knowing that I focus too much on the less important things, thinking about what I've lost and what could have been. The ninth one that most people said they regretted was, I wish, I'd been, I wish I'd had more courage to live a life that's true to myself. I gotta tell you something, man. It's hard to go to bed and sleep at night when you know that you're just satisfying other people and you're not being true to yourself. Isn't that true? You ever done that? You ever done that? I mean, you just felt a lot of pressure, maybe on your job or you're a leader or you, or you have uh, leadership influence and, and you just got a lot of pressure and you gave in to the pressure just so you wouldn't have to face that conflict every day. But when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, you knew you weren't being true to yourself. That's a bad feeling. This person says, or these people said, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings or, or I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself instead of living a life based on what I thought others expected of me. That's a big one to think about. The eighth one 
10, 9, this is 8. I wish I had the courage, I wish I had had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I'd been more honest about my opinions and my feelings instead of thinking that my opinion didn't matter. Or instead of thinking that my opinion or my thoughts or my feelings weren't popular, so I just kept them to myself. I wish I had been more expressive. Number seven was this one. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends, my true friends, my true friends, the ones who really love me. Number six, I wish that I would have allowed myself to be happier. I wish I had allowed myself to be happier. I wish that I had smiled more and complained less. Number five, I wish I would have taken a class or two to learn some things that I was interested in, but I gave it up when I got married, when I had my children I gave it all up. I wish I had I wish I'd gone back to school and taken those classes. Number 4. Number 4 is two parts. The women said this. I wish I had just let the dust sit a little longer. And I wish I had gone outside to play with my children more when they pleaded for me to do that. I got to tell you this one gets me. This one gets me. I tell Millie all the time when I see pictures of my boys when they were little, I said, I wasn't there. I wasn't there. She said, you were there. You were at every ball game, screaming, embarrassing the whole family. <laughs> you, you were at every ball game. You played with the boys in the yard. You took us on vacations. But I got to tell you, she's right about that. We did do all those things, but I still feel like I could have done so much more Here's what the men said about that. They said, I wish I'd let the phone ring. Can I, can I just tell y'all something? Y'all need to write this down, really. You've got your pen, your notes. Why don't you write this down? You don't have to answer the phone. That was hard for some of you because you think you do. As a matter of fact, if I want to have a conversation with you, the best thing for me to do is not try to get with you one-on-one, -on -one, but to call you. Because if I was talking to you one-on-one -on -one and your phone rang, you'd go, can you hold right there? And I love, because phone calls are important. Every phone call people get is so important because this is what they usually say. Hello? Nothing, what you doing? Turn it off. Turn the phone off. When you sit down to dinner with your family, turn the phone off. Take time to sit there and talk and let your family talk back to you. Just, just turn the phone off. This, this, these guys said, I wish that we let the phone ring and I, I wish I'd chosen to stay home with my family more. I wish I'd called some people and said, no, I just can't make that meeting because I haven't been with my family for any extended period of time for a long time, and I'm not going to that meeting tonight. Or go to that ball game. I wish I'd gone to that ball game. Or I wish I'd just gone outside and played with them. Can I tell you people something, man? You guys with little children, you guys with little children, don't, you just don't know. I, I'm telling you, you're going to turn around two times. 
and they're going to be 18. I'm telling you right now, you, I know this morning it didn't seem like they were precious. I know. I know. It seemed like this morning they, you needed an exorcist just to get them to church. I understand that. But I got to tell you, man, I see these little ones walking around, and that's why I'm always down there trying to get them to give me five, and they're looking at me like, who is that creepy old guy? Because those days are so precious. And I'm going to tell you, how you spend time with them in those days will determine what they form into. Because I got to warn you, they're going to be teenagers. They're going to turn into teenagers. Be warned. Take time with them. Take them on vacation, man. Take them on vacation. Spend time with your kids. Do things with your kids. You know, man, put that computer down. Put that work down. Go outside and throw that ball. So important. So important. And then get pictures of it so you can show them, I did throw the ball with you. Number three, I wish I would, I wish I um, would, no, would have known not to sweat the small stuff. I wish I had known not to sweat the small stuff. Let me tell you something about me. Can I just fess up right here? Can I just get transparent? I didn't know how to not sweat the small stuff. I mean, I've been a pastor since I was 19 years old. I've been a preacher since I was 17 years old. I've been a pastor since I was 19 years old. And i got to tell you something. It's pressure. And I'm not whining. I'm not whining. I, I thank God for my service here. I'm having the best years of my ministry I've ever had right now. Millie and I were talking about it. Uh, we went off this week together. and We were talking about how these are just the best years of our life. But as a young pastor and a young preacher, I just... I just had so many people wanting so many different things. And I was trying to please everybody and make everybody like me and make everybody happy. And so I would sweat the small stuff. And you know what that did to me? I'm preaching to some men here today and probably some women too. You know what that did to me? It made me hateful to my family. It made me bark at them. It made me angry all the time because when I was with those people, I was like, oh, sure, anything you want. Oh, yes, I can do that. Sure, stand on my head and gargle peanut butter. Absolutely, I can do that. I can do anything you want me to do because, you know, ministry is all about the pastor keeping the members happy. And then I would have that on me and I would resent that. I would resent that Christians were so self-centered. I'm not talking about you guys. <laughs> and I would bring it home. Right there's my bride, I think. Is that you, baby? You look good. <laughs> you want to leave now? Go back to the house? I'm 56, I ain't dead. But I would come home and Millie would have to tell the boys, Daddy's coming home, you know, um, 
he's probably going to be upset, and he's probably got, he's got a lot on him. And here's what she was saying to him. The jerk's coming home. <laughs> Some of you guys need to hear what I'm saying. The jerk's coming home. He acts like he's been under pressure none of the rest of us have been under. He acts like he's going through stuff none of the rest of us are going through. He's going to walk in the door, and we've all been going through our stuff all day, and we've all been, but we got to take our stuff and put it aside because we got to cater to him because he's going to walk in angry at the end of the day. Baby, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those days when I was nicer to people who didn't even love me than I was to you and my boys who would have died for me. Don't sweat the small stuff. Hey, guys, and it's not just men. I mean, women are under pressure now. You know, most women are working outside the home. They're under a ton of pressure. And they're under pressure at home with those kids. I mean, matter of fact, guys, why don't you just trade jobs with them for a week? You'll be glad to get back to your job. I guarantee you. Here's what I'd suggest to you. Get yourself a bucket and put it right at your back door, and right before you walk in your door at the end of the day, put all that stuff that's going to make you a jerk in that bucket. And walk in your house and love the people who would go through a fire for you. See, because you've been with people all day who don't care about you, who don't care about you, who if you died might not even show up at the funeral home unless they think they're in the will. And you go home to people who would die for you and walk with you through fire and you treat the person you left who doesn't even care anything about you. You've been kind and courteous and patient with them all day and you come home and take that out on your family. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I know because I've done it. I've walked it. He said, I wish I'd learned not to sweat the small stuff. It wasn't all that important in the end when you look at the big picture. The writers of this uh, number three said, I don't think I would have ever, I love this sentence, one person wrote, I don't think I would have had to take as much medicine if I'd learned not to sweat the small stuff. Number two uh, this was uh, number two. Number one, I want you to get ready because it's the most powerful. Number two says, I wish I would have had an attitude. Listen to this. I wish I would have had an attitude of celebrating life instead of an attitude that let everybody know I'm just enduring my life. I wish, now that I feel like I am not going to be here much longer, I feel like I'm probably going to be gone in a little while because of the prognosis. I, I wish I had not, I wish I had not made my own life miserable and therefore made the lives of everybody around me miserable. I wish I'd have been easier to be with, easier to be around. You remember what um, that great gospel singer Tim McGraw said last week? He said, I, when, he said, when he's talking to his buddy, who's going, he said, I, I'm, I love sweeter. 
or I love deeper. He said, I, I was the husband I'd never been. I was the friend that a friend wanted to have. All of a sudden, fishing wasn't such an imposition. And I gave forgive, forgiveness I'd been denying because I knew or thought that I was dying. Number one, here's the number one regret of people who thought they were going to die. I wish, that I, I wish that I had gotten to know God better. I wish I'd spent more time finding out who God was. I'm realizing now just how much he's always been there for me. I'm realizing just now how through all my life he was calling me to himself, calling me to follow him and love him. Um, we got a young lady in our church, uh, Casey Schwartz, and Casey was one of the cardboard testimonies, and she was real easy to spot because she had on pink pants. Is Casey, I don't know if she's here. You're here. Awesome, Casey. Oh, she heard this sermon twice, and uh, appreciate it. Casey, uh, I met her right here at the altar one week, and and she had just newly given her life to the Lord. And since then, she and I have talked on Facebook. And she's asked me questions as she has grown and developed. And we've just watched her develop and grow and mature as a Christian. Casey um, uh, is a young wife, young mother. And uh, she um, uh, just has a great story. A great story. And uh, we're going to play the first part of it, and then I'm just going to read some scripture. Then we're going to play the second part, and then we're done, okay? So let's watch Casey today. My name is Casey Swartz. I'm originally from Michigan, and in 2009, I married my husband. And two months later, we found out we were having our baby girl. In late December, I found a lump, and I, I scheduled a doctor's appointment, and January 6th is when I was diagnosed. Um, with breast cancer. The first thing I did was I grabbed my daughter and I took her outside because I wasn't sure how many more times I'd be able to do that. That was, um, that's kind of when it hit was when I looked at her because I realized I went from being 24 and having my 24-year-old issues and wondering how many kids I, ha I would have to going from looking at the daughter that I do have and wondering what I'll get to see of her. I went through more testing and they discovered it in my lymph nodes and on January 16th I um, underwent a double mastectomy and a lymph node dissection. That was probably the first time I had prayed since I was 10 years old. February 9th, I started chemotherapy. My doctor told me that uh, I had a 39% chance of beating this. One thing I've never felt throughout this whole journey, and I don't know why, is anger. I never have felt angry towards God. Um, even when I was just getting to know him, I never asked him why this happened to me. My prayer was always, what are you going to do with me? I was told that my I had went through menopause and that um, that I could no longer have kids. 
That night I said probably the hardest prayer I ever said because that's news that I never thought I would ever hear. I don't think anybody kind of expects to hear things like that. Um, so it took me a minute to kind of take it in and I remember as I was still trying to emotionally take it in, I went home and I closed my bedroom door and I just started to cry. And I prayed that God would give my fertility to a woman who thought she'd never have kids, that it wouldn't be wasted. My body started to normalize a little bit and I noticed some changes and I went back to the doctor and asked him what this all meant. And he said it meant nothing that my body um, had already gone through what I was going to go through and that uh, it was something I had to accept. I uh, went back a month later and asked him to redo the testing and he redid the testing and I went down to the UNC fertility um, clinic and they read my results that my body had regained fertility and they couldn't explain it. I remember the doctor looked across from me and he said, I don't really know how to explain this to you, Ms. Swartz. Um, you did go through menopause, but for some reason, your levels are showing that you are um, ovulating, that you are able to have, have children at some point. And I remember him saying to me, what you have to do now is pray. And for a doctor to say that and use God in a medical setting, I knew that he was there. I knew that this was his doing, that there was something much bigger for me to do, and I was going to do it. Awesome. Yeah. I actually married a pretty good guy. I was looking at Facebook this morning. Can you imagine that? And... Um, I saw that picture of him holding that baby. Awesome dude. And the little girl, uh, I think she's been sick recently, and uh, he was holding her. And uh, I love to see dads who are in the lives of their children and don't leave the parenting up to the mom. Hey, let's look at some words of Jesus today. And I'm going to go through this real fast because um, I think we can still beat the Baptist to Bojangles if I really hurry. So... Um, Let's go through this quickly. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Um, look what Jesus said. And, and when I read this to you, I want you to really let Jesus speak to you. I want you to, I want you to envision how Jesus is just sitting there right on the chair beside you, and he's just saying this to you, okay? I'm going to try to read it like that. So Jesus says, hey, uh, listen, um, some people store up treasures in their homes here on earth. But that's temporary stuff, and, and that's really short-sighted. That's a very short-sighted practice. So, so Jesus is saying, don't, don't undertake that. Don't have that mindset where you spend more time accumulating stuff that you're not going to take with you. He says, don't, don't focus on that. He said, because i got to tell you, man, moths are going to come in and eat that up, and rust is going to get on that and eat up any treasure that you store on this earth. 
He says, as a matter of fact, thieves may break into your homes and, and steal your precious trinkets. He said, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. Verse 20, instead of putting your focus on temporary stuff that's going to stress you out, he said, I want you to put your treasures in eternal things in heaven. Because when you invest primarily in eternal things, moths cannot attack it. Rust cannot corrode it. And, where, and, and when you put that stuff in eternal things, when you put your major effort and your major emphasis and your major thrust of your whole life into eternal things, he said, I want to tell you, thieves can't get to that. He said, and I want you to understand that where your treasure is, that's really where your heart is. Here's what Jesus was saying right there. Jesus was saying, you can say what you value, but what you say you value doesn't really reveal what you value. What reveals what's valuable to you and what's most important to your life is what you're focused on primarily as a matter of fact, I say it this way. If you tell me what's important to you, all I have to do is go to your checkbook and your calendar. Because where you put your time and what you do with your money reveals above all things what your values are. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read some more of this scripture, but it's not going to be up here on the screen, so you're going to have to listen real carefully. I would have had to make a lot of slides for this, so I want you just, can you guys do this for me? Just think about Jesus standing up here on the stage or sitting there, and Jesus is saying that. In verse 25 of Matthew 6, here's what Jesus said. Jesus goes, here's the bottom line. Now, when Jesus says, here's the bottom line, you want to listen up. Jesus says, here's the bottom line. Don't worry about your life on earth, your temporary life. And then Jesus goes, let me, let me be more specific. Stop worrying about what you're going to eat. And stop worrying about what you're going to drink. And don't worry about how you're going to clothe yourself. I mean, boy, he's nailing us, isn't he? That's what we think about so much. That's what we think about so much. We don't even know if Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John is in the Old Testament or the New Testament. But, buddy, we can tell you the latest trends and the latest TV shows. And we got our values messed up. We got our values messed up. I mean, the fact that y'all knew that bull was Fu Manchu. See, right there. And some of y'all get that going home or maybe you weren't here last Sunday. Verse 26, Jesus goes, hey, hey, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Uh, think about the birds. Jesus goes, just think about the birds in the sky. They don't store food for winter. They don't plant gardens. They don't sow or reap. And yet they are always fed. They're always taken care of because your heavenly Father feeds the birds. And you are even more precious to him than a beautiful bird. And then Jesus says, if he looks after the birds, if he looks after the birds, he's going to look after you, us. Do y'all understand we're his most prized possession? 
Do you understand in the book of Genesis when it talks about the creation? He made this earth perfect. He made it perfect. He made it perfect. He made it just like he wanted it. And then he said, now I'm going to make my prized possession. He said, I'm going to make the apple of my eye. I'm going to make, I'm going to make the creation I've been waiting to make. And that creator the, or that creation is going to love me. And that creation is going to worship me. And I'm going to bless them. And I, I mean, it's going to be heaven on earth. And I'm going to bless them. And guess who he made? He made us. We're the apple of his eye. You have no idea how much God loves you. You have no idea. As a matter of fact, the Bible says you can't even comprehend the depth or the height or the width or the length of his love. You can't even comprehend it. But then he turns right around and says, but you ought to try. Verse 7, verse 27, he says, listen guys, this is Jesus talking. Jesus goes, worrying does not do any good. And the people said, that's good, amen, but y'all need to, and I need to practice that. Because let me tell you what worry is. Worry is reaching into tomorrow and taking stuff that you think might happen negatively and pulling it into today. I mean, it hadn't even happened yet. Tomorrow's not even here yet. But we reach into tomorrow and pull it into today. We reach into next week and pull it into today. We reach into next month and pull it into today. And the Bible says that you're not made to handle that kind of pressure. And that's why people break down. And that's why people turn to alcohol and drugs and get addicted. Because we reach into the future and we pull it into the present. And we try to deal with stuff that God says it isn't even here yet. I'm preaching now. He says in verse 27, worrying does not do any good. He said, Jesus said, let me ask you a question. Who, who here can claim that worrying has ever even added one hour to your life? Nobody. So he goes on in verse 28, don't worry about clothes. He said, man, think about the lilies, the flowers. Think about the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or weave or sew, yet their garments are stunning. He's trying to get us to trust God. He says, as a matter of fact, even King Solomon, dressed in his most royal, regal garb, was not as lovely as the lilies. He said, think about the grassy fields. The grasses are here now, but they will be dead in winter, and yet God adorns them so radiantly. How much more will he clothe you? And then he nails them. He said, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? You have no trust, you who have no trust. He's talking about how we, Pharaoh Hardison, Pharaoh Hardison, he's talking about how we focus so much of our time and effort on stuff that's going to pass away. That's what this whole sermon series is about, is to get you to think about what's really important, to get me to think about it, what's really important in my life. Now, this is going to be up on the screen. Look at verse 31. So Jesus comes, he goes, so here's what I want you to do. Jesus goes, here's what I want you to do. He says, so do not concern yourself anymore with questions like, what will we eat? And what will we drink and what will we wear? 
He says, outsiders, and here's what Jesus meant by that. People who don't know who I am, people who don't know me, people who don't follow me, people who don't understand me, people who only think that, that they get stuff from their own efforts. He said those kind of people make themselves frantic over su such questions. He said they don't even realize that your heavenly Father already knows what you need. Here's what Jesus was saying to them. He said, you're acting like you unbelievers. I run into Christians, believers, followers of Jesus all the time who think like unbelievers. Who worry and worry and worry. And I worry. We all worry to some degree. But I know Christians who follow Jesus, have Jesus living in their heart, and they live petrified all the time that he's not going to take care of them. Listen to the word of the Lord today. Jesus said, stop acting like you don't know who I am. Stop acting like you're, you're one who doesn't know the truth. Stop acting like I'm not going to take care of you. And I give you all this illustration all the time of what if you went to bed one night and your little child was crying. You said, honey, what are you crying for? And your child said, well, I might not, there might not be any food tomorrow. And you'd look at your child and go, honey... I'm gonna, there's going to be food. Daddy's going to take care and Mommy's going to take care. And don't you worry. How do you think it makes God feel when he looks down and sees us worrying over stuff that he said, if you just put me first, I'm going to give you everything you need. Look what he says. He says it in the next verse, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Put me first. Put me first. Listen to me. God does not want prominence in your life. God does not want prominence in your life. God does not want one of the top positions somewhere in the top five. You know, if we get our basketball team in the top five, we think we've done something. God goes, I don't want to be in the top five. I'm number one. I'm number one. He said, when you make me number one, verse 33, when you seek first me, and you seek my righteousness and my power and my provision and me ruling your life, then I want to tell you that all the things that you've been worrying about, guess what? I'm going to just give them to you. I'm just going to give you those things. So verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow. Quit reaching into tomorrow and go, well, that might happen. It might happen, you know, I might get, and I've got to go to the doctor next week, and he might. And we just pull all this stuff into today, and your frame, your makeup as a human was not meant to bear next week's stuff and next month's stuff and next year's stuff. Look what he says in verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Live faithfully. Living faithfully is a large enough task just for what? Today, you're not going to take it with you. All this stuff you're worried about losing, all this stuff, you're not going to take it with you. We put so much emphasis on the temporary, and we're going to leave. I'm telling you, you're going to leave every bit of it. You're going to leave it. Excuse my French, but you came in naked, you're going out naked. That's the southern way of saying it. N-E-K-K-I-D. I don't care who you are. You're, going, you're coming in, that's the way you're going out. It's like the rich guy who he knew he was about to die and he had just 
millions of dollars. He told him to go get it all from the bank and put it in the attic. So when he died and he was going up to heaven, he would just grab it, just take it right on up to heaven. So when he died, the servants who had put all the money up there ran upstairs, and the money was still there. And one of them looked at the other one and said, I told you we should have put it in the basement. You remember David? You remember what David said last week in Psalm 39? This is not going to come up on the screen. Just, just note this. Psalm 39, 6, he, David said, In truth, each of us journeys through life like a shadow. In other words, you know, right there is my shadow, and I walk over here, and now it's here, and it's gone from there, and we're like a shadow. We're there, and then we're gone. He says, Your life is like a shadow. He said, Listen to this, man. I'm telling you, I'm reading this out of the Bible. He says, we busy ourselves accomplishing nothing, piling up assets we can never keep. We can't even know who's going to end up with it. No, no, man, I got me a will, and, you know, I know who's getting what. And you don't know what they're going to do with your money if you give it to them. You were careful, and you worked hard, and you, you, you valued that money, but you're going to leave that money to somebody who didn't really work for it. You know what they're going to do? A lot of them, they're going to partay. Hey, let's be as concerned about leaving a heritage of God with those who come behind us. Luke 12, 15, not on the screen. Listen, Jesus said this. Jesus shouted this out. When you read this in the Bible and you do the original language, he, sh he screamed this statement. Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, you better be on your guard. You better be on your guard against any type of greed, Jesus said. For a person's life is not about having a lot of possessions. Nothing wrong with possessions. Nothing wrong with getting rich. Nothing wrong with being blessed abundantly. Nothing wrong with any of that. But it can't rule your life. It can't have preeminence in your life. Ecclesiastes 7.7 7, Even wise people become fools if they let money and earthly possessions change their thinking. Casey's got a last word for us, and then we're going to pray. Let's watch this video. On January of this year, I had my one-year CT scan. I felt good. Um, I prayed all the time. I felt God. I felt Him like I'd never felt Him before. I knew I was going to be okay because I did all this, and I, you know, and I just knew that these signs had to mean something. And I went in for my CT scan and I was nervous. And um, I left and they called me that day and said, we found lesions on your liver and your lung. And I was devastated because I didn't understand. The doctor said that it looked suspicious. They wanted to do an MRI. And two days later I was in for an MRI. I closed my eyes during the MRI and I prayed that God would watch over me, that he would help me. And when I closed my eyes, I saw in my head Jesus with his hands over my liver. 
and I just started crying. And as I kept my eyes closed, I started seeing other hands kind of placed on my abdomen. And to me, those were the people that have been praying for me throughout this whole thing. The doctor called and they were all benign. Everything was benign. I was officially in remission as of January 24th. very much. I was very selfish. I tended to judge people. I took my husband for granted. Um, he's a very selfless person. He loves unconditionally and I just didn't. I look at my daughter now and everything is special. I watch her watch TV. I watch her sleep. And when I go in her room and I watch her, I realize just how precious life is. And I still pray every day that I get to see that girl grow. I've never been more in love with my husband than I am now because he was, he was so strong through all of this and so selfless. And, and the more hair I lost, the more beautiful he told me I was. Cancer was probably one of the best things that happened to me. It, um, it completely changed who I am, and I like the person that I am now. Don't take anything for granted. Just know that life is a very precious thing, that we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We are not guaranteed another phone call, another chance to talk to somebody or another chance to, you know, watch your daughter play outside. You may not have that. So I would say to you, make everything special. Make every moment count. Live each day like it's your last. And just never let anything pass you by. Would you bow your head and close your eyes right there where you are, Lord Jesus? Lord Jesus, thank you for rocking our world with this sermon series. Thank you for calling us out about our priorities. Thank you for calling us out about whether we're spending the bulk of our time deeply focused on temporary things or deeply focused on eternal things. Every person in this room is going to pass away. I'm not being a, a negative person when I say that. I'm just, it's real. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. I pray that every person here today will think about their mortality, that they will think about the fact that they're not going to always be here. Last week we read from the scripture, David said, even under the best of circumstances, even when we don't get sick, even when we um, do all the things to make sure we're healthy so we don't get any kind of sickness or disease, 
even then, under the best of circumstances. Our life on this earth, David said, is short. It's like a vapor. I pray that every man, woman, child in this place will think about eternity. If you do not know him today, if you do not know Jesus Christ, right there where you are, right there where you are, just say to him, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I have been running from you. I have been making excuses. I have doubted you. I have said that you don't even exist. But I'm rethinking If you are out there, God, and if you are real, would you reveal yourself to me some way, somehow? Would you, Lord, reveal yourself to me? As a matter of fact, I believe it is possible that you have already started doing that in this worship service right here today at the bridge. I mean, Lord, if you are there, I mean, if you are real, I know I need you and I want you to take over my life. I have heard a voice speaking to my heart all through this service to come to me. And I know that that voice is yours. And God, today, I'm not going to doubt you anymore. I'm not going to deny you anymore. I'm not going to run from you anymore. I'm not going to make any more excuses Today, I'm deciding, and I don't even know how I'm going to walk this out. I don't even know what tomorrow looks like or even this afternoon. But I know right now, I'm asking you to take over my life. I'm going to give you the rest of my life. You died on the cross. You paid for my sins on the cross. You rose from the dead to give me new life, and I sense you calling me to yourself, calling me, saying, come and love me, come and follow me. I hear you, God, saying, put me first, and I'll take care of everything else, all the other needs of your life. You won't have to worry about eating. You won't have to worry about clothing. You won't have to worry about drink. You won't have to worry about those things. If you will seek me first and my kingdom, I will add those things to you. That's the promise of Scripture. God, what my problem is, is I've been trying to get those things on my own and push you to the side. But I'm realizing now it doesn't work like that. So I put you first. I ask you to take over my life. Beginning today. In Jesus' name.